Net. It is time for us to begin our midday program here on KRVN as we take a look at some of the issues that we're going to be tackling over the next couple of hours. Jason Jorgensen is back. Here's Bob Brogan and Susan Littlefield all ready to go to get things started on this Tuesday. And let's begin with Susan. Hi, Susan. Hello once again. Well, the uh, technology works a little bit better this time. So, uh, you know, whatever. Modern technology. You just got to go with the flow. <sighs> Something like that. You did a very good <laughs> job of going with the flow. Thank you for that. So what do you got for us today? Well, we're going to kick everything off here at, at 1219. As guys and gals out there finish up their harvest of their wheat, they might be thinking about double cropping, maybe with soybeans or sorghum. Well, we're going to find out from one K-State expert when it comes to weed management, what you need to think about when it comes to herbicides for both. Then I'll step back in at 12.45 as I talk with Kara Hackert. We look at the drought situation in California and what that means not only for California producers, but for all of us as consumers. And then Alex will be in at 1.17 as she talks with Coy and Jim Johnston as the National High School Finals Rodeo gets set to be underway. All right. Thank you very much. Don't go too far. We'll be right back to you in a second. Sounds good. All right, Jason Jorgens is back. The prodigal son returns. And uh, speaking of uh, sons coming back, good to see Monte Cristo's kids going to play. Yeah, Drew Cristo announced on Twitter this morning that he will attend Nebraska this fall and play for the Huskers in the spring. He was a Nebraska Gatorade Player of the Year. Uh, professional scouts had drooled over him a little bit, but he didn't go high enough in the draft, doesn't have the uh, leverage behind him, so he's going to be a Husker. And that's good news for Nebraska, considering they lost two of their better pitchers in the draft yesterday with Spencer Schwellenbach and Cade Povich, each going pretty high. So there, there's a slot or two there, and Crystal will help help fill it. He's a good athlete. He also can hit. He, he might be one of those guys that will play both ways. Speaking of that, uh, Shohei Otani of the Angels, he'll become the first two-way starter in the history of the All-Star Game, which started in 1933. He'll be on the mound tonight for the American League, and also he'll lead off as a designated hitter. That is awesome. That's cool. I I, I just think that's a great story. It really is. And he did all right last yeah. night, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Salvador Perez did okay, too. Normally yeah. hit 28 home runs. You'll, you'll move on, but that didn't happen after uh, he bowed out. And uh, Husker fans can mark Thursday, July 29th in their calendar. That is the annual Nebraska Football Fan Day. That will be held that night from 5.30 until 7.30 at Memorial Stadium in Lincoln. All right. Very good. You you like Rob Childress coming back to Nebraska? We I think that's a great that's move. A that, that move had been rumored for a while. Uh, he and Will Bolt go way back. And even Childress, when he was here, I remember talking to him and how much they loved Nebraska. And if there ever was a chance he could come back... He would, so that's that's a huge... It's been a good week for Husker baseball. It absolutely has. Two guys drafted, too, so that's good. Thank you very much, Jason. Let's turn it over to Bob Rogan. Stocks mixed today. Stocks are uh, moving back and forth between some gains, uh, small gains and losses. Investors are weighing the latest quarterly earnings reports from big U.S. companies and uh, concerns about inflation. Meanwhile, American consumers faced a third straight month's uh, for third straight monthly surge in prices in June, the latest evidence that a rapid reopening of the economy is fueling pent-up spending for goods and services. Details on those stories coming up. Thank you, Bob. Let's continue our midday with Susan. 
Well, good morning, everybody. As we continue to take a look at what's happening in the trade, we bring on the phone line Mike Zuzlo. He's with Global Commodity Analytics. And, Mike, looking at July corn, what are your thoughts on this market that's going to soon go off the board? Yeah, we, we're shooting up again today with a 7.50 and a half high on the July futures, Susan, and that's with about 300 contracts traded, not different, not much different from yesterday's uh, volume, so pretty decent number of trades taking us to new monthly highs, uh, taking us to a point where now we're chasing the May high of 775. That was also the highest level since 2013. I think we're back in demand rationing mode after yesterday's crop report, not just about Brazilian corn. I think more thanks to the wheat market uh, than the corn this time around. So weather becomes more important with this type of structure in the market, I think, and not just United States weather, but also the Baltic states and also China. So we've got a situation back on our hands where it looks as though at this stage that July going off the board in about a day and a half is going to bring us a huge, uh, uh, almost like a mid-1990s type premium against the next contract that's going to take over as lead month futures of September. You know, it makes me nervous, though, Mike, as I've been hearing a lot of guys talk about 1988 and 2012 when they've been talking this weather situation across the U.S.? I think you could go down that path with spring wheat and with the the canola oil and the canola at this stage of the game, Susan, but I think we're probably more like 2008 when it comes to the overall market for corn and beans. We have China as the big buyer. We've got a soybean oil market that's rocketing us higher, but we've also got some real potential headwinds in the outside markets, and we've got really strong inflationary pressure, something we didn't have a lot of in 2008. Uh, That came along later in like the 2010-2011 time period. So I I think you're probably looking at a combination of the two, but the model I'm using with clients is more like 2008 for corn and beans, hoping the wheat's going to provide some leadership to the upside this month versus downside last month. Let's switch over gears to the livestock side. Nice to see a, a big positive move all the way across the board for our cattle and hogs. Yeah, it is, and it adds a lot of questions, more questions and answers. I mean, we've got cash feeder steers, 3 to $5 higher in Oklahoma City compared to two weeks ago. You're still, though, even with that, about $7, $8 premium in the futures market. And then you've got the sales that are being talked about at a 125 level in the south, south cattle going north. So what I'm getting at is I think you've got a situation where we may be on the precipice of something you and I have talked about where the corn and the cattle try and go up together, that that whatever you feed the cattle, that's going to make the cattle more expensive in the market's eyes. And I think that's especially pertinent given the fact that we're down 23 pounds on a dress weight basis versus year-ago levels. And continue to watch the coalition, correlation between the, what we see in the corn and how that's affecting the feeder market. Yeah, this is a big deal because if we see the corn go higher and the feeders go higher, that maybe does spell the end of that opposite reaction with the funds and it kind of breaks apart and the fundamentals kind of take over. Wonderful. Thanks so much, Mike. Enjoy the rest of your afternoon. Thanks for having me, Susan. That's been Mike Zuzalo. He's with Global Commodity Analytics for this midday market commentary. Of course, you can receive a two-week free trial by going to Mike's newsletter. You can find it mentioning Rural Radio Network at globalcomresearch.com. That's globalcom with two M's, research.com. Remember, trading futures and options involve substantial risk of loss, and they're not suitable for all investors. Joining us today has again been Mike Zuzalo. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network.
time for us to take a look at our weather and how it's affecting agriculture for us and around the world. Paul Perkins here with us and uh, got some clouds going, especially northern part of the state, a little activity going on. Yeah, exactly. From about uh, the O'Neill area down to around Ogallala and North Platte, some fairly good cloud cover. Also some of that cloud covered into the Ord and Broken Bow area. Gradually sliding to the southeast. Some rain chances on the way, whether we're going to get much is kind of up for debate. We're kind of in this pattern where pretty much nothing is happening. Uh, we've got some thunderstorm chances. Can't completely rule them out, but mainly a quiet weather pattern and uh, temperatures at least luckily not getting too out of hand with those uh you know, and no 90 degree right. or plus degree temperatures or triple digit heat in our forecast. If it if it's not going to rain, at least <laughs> it's not 100 degrees. So there's that. And it looks like it's kind of trying to clear around here a little bit. Yes. And luckily, yeah, a little bit of sunshine trying to make its way into our weather picture. But yeah, unfortunately, we're not getting too dried out with these temperatures currently. A little bit of light rain with those clouds right now, mainly over north central Nebraska to the sand hills. Some of those showers in and around the O'Neill area to northwest of there. Also some light scattered activity just to the southwest of Ainsworth to about the Mullen area and just to the north of Hyannis. That activity gradually moving to the south and southeast. Not expecting a whole lot of activity with that. Also some light showers into the eastern Nebraska Pan or the eastern Nebraska Panhandle towards the Sydney area and also just to the north of Bridgeport. Very scattered activity as it moves to the south and east. Our temperatures right now into the upper 70s to the low 80s. Both today and tomorrow our temperature is slightly warmer than usual with the mix of sunny clouds. Off and on, scattered thunderstorms, a possibility with some low pressure and a cold front tracking to the southeast. Any of the rain amounts, though, expected to be on the light side since the system is not highly organized. And luckily, the severe threat, a lower-end marginal risk. Our temperatures on Thursday look to be a nice one, 5 degrees cooler than average in behind the passing of this cold front and with some high pressure building in from the north. We'll get on the backside of that area of high pressure as it slides to the east. When we do so, we will see some warmer southerly winds return our temperatures to more seasonal levels for Friday into Monday. That increase in moisture with that southerly flow and several weak disturbances will team up to result in some light, slight chances for some thunderstorms for Friday night through Sunday night. Far from any kind of a washout for this weekend, but definitely some thunderstorm chances are there for the long-term forecast. For that period of Sunday through July 26th, our Nebraska temperatures forecast to be seasonal to slightly warmer than normal. On the other hand, Kansas temperatures for Sunday through July 26th look to be seasonal to slightly cooler than normal. The low normal rainfall expected for both Nebraska and Kansas Sunday through July 26th. Key weather factors the markets are considering include a storm producing much-needed rain across the northern Corn Belt and the developing heat and dryness across the Canadian prairies and the Black Sea region. A storm and the southwest monsoon flow of moisture will provide some scattered to widespread thunderstorms to many areas of the plains. Locally heavy rain is expected in parts of the plains, midwest and mid-south. A few areas including parts of the southern plains and the northern U.S. though will receive little to no rain across the northern Corn Belt for tonight through Friday. The better shower activity will be found with the front sagging to the south. That front providing better chances for rain by this weekend across the southern midwest. The southern plains seeing some Scattered rain in mostly northern areas through Friday. The eastern southern plains should stay active through this weekend. 
a benefit for developing to reproductive corn and soybeans. In the northern plains, any rain likely to have a large impact on developing to reproductive corn and soybeans, but it may offer a stabilizing benefit farther north towards the Canadian prairies. The heat returning for this middle part of the week and continuing into next week. Many areas of the Canadian prairies seeing more crop stress as they are likely to miss out on any rain that passes by. The Black Sea region of Ukraine, hot and dry through the weekend, causing stress for locally drier areas. Many of the Black Sea areas for the time being still have plenty of soil moisture. The Volga Valley of Russia likely to have the hardest time dealing with the upcoming heat. And at least we don't have the high heat that they've been dealing with across the desert southwest. Not too bad there today. Uh, temperature is actually for this time period in the low to mid-90s as opposed to triple-digit heat right away. And they had overnight lows last week in Death Valley, you know, only to the triple digits. Can you imagine? Why? Why? <laughs> Why would anybody want to live in a place like yeah. that? I just uh, don't know. But, boy, you go... Some of those areas are hot and... Mm-hmm. That's why we have air conditioning. Uh That's right. All right. Nice benefit. (laughs) Thank you, Paul. I appreciate it. Where do you go to check in on your weather? Weather page, krvn.com. Dot com. Have you thought about herbicide control when you are double cropping your soybeans and sorghum? I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. As farmers are wrapping up their wheat harvest, they might be considering double cropping. For example, soybeans. Well, weed management specialist from K-State, Sarah Lancaster, is here to share things to take into consideration when you're looking at weed control in double crop beans. A lot of the herbicides that we we use in our wheat programs are in that ALS inhibiting family. And those products tend to, especially in soils with high pH, have some pretty long rotation intervals, particularly to soybeans. So some things to keep in mind, ally Metsulfuron-containing products can have a long rotation interval in some situations. Other things like RAVE, one of the components of RAVE, can stick around for a while and lead to some longer rotation intervals to soybeans. But again, it it depends on the product that you used, and a lot of it has to do with the soil conditions in your field. And so it's going to be really important for folks to pay attention to those product labels for the things they used in their wheat to make sure that they're not going to have potential problems with their soybeans. Being aware of what products are labeled with and the composition of the soil are important for the required waiting interval for crops later on. And that interval length will also vary with different products. But where we get into some of these higher pH soils, we can have intervals up to three years for some of these products. So just something to be aware of. And I guess the other thing to say there is if you have access to soybean varieties that are resistant to imidazolinone and sulfonylurea herbicides, um, you can shorten some of those intervals. But again, it goes back to all of the, the nuance of the label of the specific product that you used. And then add the recent weather has promoted weed growth as competing wheat was harvested. Being ready to combat that issue may be an earning of a profit, more likely. So, you know, once we remove that wheat and take away that wheat canopy that was so competitive with the weeds, you have a big flush, right? Especially we've had some rains across much of the state this week and temperatures in the mid to upper 80s, prime growing conditions for a lot of our weeds. And so we're going to have some actively growing weeds out there. So folks are going to want to make sure they come in with something that has some contact activity to control those weeds that are already up, as well as a residual herbicide. Things to think about would be, again, those glyphosate-based programs, but coming in with something 
to deal with glyphosate resistant weeds using something that will give you some burn down activity as well as some residual is going to be important. So let's switch over to look at weed control in double crop of grain of sorghum. Proper timing and control of weeds can lead to higher success later there as well. You know, the usual suspects, we've got our Palmer amaranth, potentially our kochia, but also we need to think about grass control, right? So controlling grasses post-emergence in grain sorghum has historically been a weak spot. We are starting to see some of those herbicide-resistant varieties that, that could give us some help in that regard. But, you know, with grain sorghum, one of the keys to success is a good pre-emergence herbicide program no matter what. You're, you're doing there in terms of your trait selection. And there is the various herbicide products that will achieve good weed control, and that's been confirmed by independent K-State field trials. Lancaster talks about the options. Things to think about would be atrazine. You know, atrazine is a standard for our, our grain sorghum and corn programs. And then some of those group 15 products, so things like Dual or Outlook, herbicides that are based on metolachlor, dimethanamide, or acetochlor. That's Sarah Lancaster. She's K-State's weed management specialist, talking double cropping both soybeans and sorghum after wheat. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Today. Time for us to check in on sports. Jason Jorgensen in the saddle here today as we get to... Ready to go, and it was, you mentioned this, it was a nice, nice couple days for Nebraska baseball to see Schwellenbeck go, to see Povich go, and now new guy coming in. Yeah, prized recruit Drew Christo announced on Twitter this morning he'll attend Nebraska this fall and play for the Huskers in the spring. Christo was a Nebraska Gatorade Player of the Year in Nebraska. It was thought he might head to professional baseball if he went high enough in the MLB draft. The six foot four, two 225-pounder was rated as the 236th overall prospect ahead of the draft. Christo, the son of former Carney High and Nebraska quarterback Monty Christo is a three-sport star at Elkhorn and is a senior went 5-2 and two with a 0.43 ERA. In 48 two-third innings, he struck out 92 and walked 18. He has an electric <laughs> wow. arm. He'll be a Husker. That's that's a nice ratio. Yeah, he can that's also hit. So that's, oh, a, really? that's a good one coming in for Will Bull. Two of baseball's biggest stars will be in the leadoff spots as the All-Star Game gets underway tonight in Denver. Shohei Otani of the Angels will not only be the American League starting pitcher, he'll also be the first batter to face the National League's Max Scherzer and one of your favorites, Fernando Tatis Jr. of the Padres, will lead off for the National League. This stuff with Otani is crazy. He's the first two-way starter in the history of the All-Star Game, which started in 1933. Not even Babe Ruth ever started both ways in an all-star game that is just it's he's a once in a century mm-hmm. sort of player i hope he can keep it up he's been injured in the past so uh, he wow. has also some irony the forecast calls for a good shot of showers and thunderstorms out in denver tonight and how ironic would that be when they move that thing and <laughs> no. not happen no Mm. We'll see. Husker fans can mark Thursday, July 29th on their calendar with the annual Nebraska Football Fan Day set for that evening. The event will be held from 5.30 until 7.30 at Memorial Stadium, with Fan Day annually being the best chance for fans to meet and greet Husker players, coaches, 
and the staff. And the UNK women's basketball team ranked 20th in the Division II with a 3.65 cumulative grade point average for last season. Women's Basketball Coaches Association made that announcement today. During the spring semester, three Lopers had a perfect 4.0 GPA, and four more posted of at least a 3.90. And UNK went 23-4 and last year, won the MIAA tournament, and reached the Sweet 16. I've been around some people over mm-hmm. the years. I've never been around a better bunch of people than that bunch that's with UNK women's basketball. It, it starts at the top with the head coach, Carrie Amy, the assistants, the kids. It's a good bunch. Well, I know you would talk about it, and uh, you you said they even let you hit a couple shots once in a while. They do. <laughs> they treat me like gold, and that's not why I'm saying they're just yeah, a good bunch. good bunch. And when I see a story like this, because I see the kids uh, you know, with the nose in the books when we're on the road, not surprised. Nice. They're also really good. They've won 49 of their last 59, and the nucleus of that team will be back. Student athletes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you got to like that. That's for sure. That's, that's sports for, sure. for more. You can find it anytime at krvn.com. All right, thanks, Jason. Six five. The Dawson Public Power District has been receiving reports about suspicious calls where scammers are threatening to disconnect power due to non-payment. When the scammers call, the phone number may or may not appear as Dawson Public Power District's phone numbers. The caller tells the customer that they are overdue on their electric bill and that they have a limited amount of time to pay the bill or be disconnected. If the customer agrees to pay, the caller instructs them to purchase prepaid credit cards or wire funds to a specific account. DPPD reminds customers they do not conduct business this way and they should hang up, call their utility provider, and verify the status of their account. Utility crews in and around Omaha are still working to restore power to thousands of customers today, four days after severe storms ravaged the state and left a record number of people in Omaha without electricity. Omaha Public Power District says it's expected to have some 27,000 customers without power up and running by midnight tonight. Even as meteorologists warn of possible severe weather moving back into the region late tonight into tomorrow. The National Weather Service has issued a hazardous weather outlook for all of Nebraska, warning that storms could bring more strong winds and large hail. Authorities say a man has died after being pinned between two semi-trailer trucks in southwestern Nebraska. The Omaha World Herald reports that the accident happened Sunday in Juanita, killing 57-year-old Brian Stute of Binkelman. The Nebraska State Patrol says Stute had parked his semi at a grain elevator to unload and was at the rear of the trailer when the driver of another semi parked behind his. Investigators say that when the other driver got out to talk to Stute, the rig rolled down a slope and pinned Stute. He was taken to a nearby hospital where he was pronounced dead. The patrol is investigating. The Kearney Police Department, in conjunction with the Nebraska Office of Highway Safety, will have additional officers working on July 17, 2021, during the cruise night weekend. Officers will be out cracking down on alcohol violations such as minor in possession, open container, and driving under the influence of alcohol or drugs. The goal of this effort is to reduce alcohol and drug driving and related accidents. 
There will also be parking restrictions downtown as a result of cruise night events. Downtown parking is prohibited starting at 2 a.m. on July 17th in various locations where the car show will take place. Vehicles parked in these areas are subject to tow at the owner's expense. The Kearney Police Department is requesting that you obey Nebraska laws and city ordinances, as always, related to the consumption and possession of alcohol and drugs. Designate a sober driver, call for a ride, be safe, and be smart. You can find more news at krbn.com. Reporting for the Rural Radio Network, I'm Ellen Simmons. FDIC. It is 12.36 here on KRVN from the KRVN Weather Center. Scott Foster here with you. This Weather Watch brought to you by Pinnacle Bank of Lexington member FDIC. All right. Well, let's take a look at uh, what's in the forecast today for the KRVN listening area. Today and tomorrow, we're going to slightly warmer than usual with a mix of sun and clouds. Off and on, scattered thunderstorms are possible with low pressure and a cold front tracking southeast. Any rain amounts will be light. The severe threat will be low in marginal risk. Thursday will be around 5 degrees cooler than average behind the passage of a cold front and with high pressure building in from the north. On the backside of high pressure sliding east, warmer southerly winds will return temperatures to more seasonal levels Friday through Monday. An increase in moisture and several weak disturbances will result in some slight chances for thunderstorms Friday night through Sunday night. In central Nebraska, partly to mostly cloudy, highs in the upper 80s, southeast winds at 10 to 15 this afternoon. Tonight, 30% chance of thunderstorms, lows in the upper 60s to around 70, southeast winds at 10 to 20. Tomorrow, partly cloudy, a 30% chance of thunderstorms. Highs around 90. Westerly winds blowing pretty good at 15 to 25. And then a slight chance of thunderstorms tomorrow night and again Friday night through Sunday. Highs in the low 80s on Thursday, mid to upper 80s Friday through Monday. Right now, as we look around the state, uh, we've got 80 degrees right now in Chadron. It's 81 in Scotts Bluff, 80 in Kimball, 78 right now in Alliance, 74 in Sydney, 74 in Thedford. It's 82 on the shores of Lake McConaughey, 76 in um, Imperial, 83 in McCook, 83 in North Platte, 77 in Valentine, 76 in Ainsworth, 79 in Norfolk. A little bit of a storm working its way uh, through the Pierce area right now in northeast Nebraska. 81 in Tacoma. It's 84 in Omaha. 84 also in the capital city. 82 in Grand Island. 75 in Kearney. And here at the Lexington studios of KRVN, 81 degrees under clear skies. Winds out of the northeast at 10 miles an hour. Where we check the roll radio network. Did you know the state of California has nearly 80,000 farms and ranches that produce more than 400 food commodities, including more than one-third of the country's vegetable and two-thirds of our fruits and nuts? And drought is causing concerns. 
Hi, I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. I spoke with Kara Hackert. She's American Farmland Trust, California Regional Director. She shares what they're seeing in California. The California's agriculture sector is likely to experience uh, the biggest impact of the record-breaking drought. An example of that is economics. The economic toll on agriculture was estimated at $2.7 $2.7 billion in 2015, which was the worst year of the last drought. And this year, um, our watersheds and snowpacks, which are the source of most of the water that supplies Central Valley farmers, um, are drier um, than they were in the beginning of this year than in 2015. So the economic impacts are going to be um, really, really large uh, to the state's ag economy. You know, and, and I think the, the, the factors that they're going to have those economic issues, how do you see that affecting the consumer? I think that, um, you know, we may not see the impact immediately because some uh, products can be sourced from other parts of California. We may not see immediate price implications, but there are a lot of factors that come into play when talking about grocery store prices. Um, but we could have increases of that could get higher by about 3%. Um, The payment that farmers receive for their crops is a very small portion of the price that shoppers pay. Most of it comes from transportation, packaging, and marketing. And that's a great point to bring up because there is a big difference between in the field and on that grocery store shelf. Exactly. I think, uh, you know, over time, just like with the pandemic, we may see a reduction in the variety of agricultural products that are available during a given time of year. Um, Also, um, more locally sourced food may be more depleted over time as drought conditions and really other impacts from climate, wildfires, et cetera, um, reduce that uh, ability to bring the food to the market. The wildfire season is uh, continuing to pick up. How do you see that affecting farmland in California? Well, you know, a lot of times agricultural land is overlooked as a tool for fighting wildfire. Um, I live in in Sonoma County. I've had to evacuate, uh, you know, four out of the last five years. And and what we've seen here and, and throughout the state is that where farmland and ranch land were either uh, graze sustainably or irrigated farmland, the fires actually slowed or stopped um, where the farmland or agricultural land was. So I think agricultural land can be a really critical wildfire prevention tool. On the other side, how it impacts agriculture, obviously air quality affects our farm working community, which is the backbone of California's agriculture. You know, we have folks out in the smoke, it can affect their health, so it affects our um, our labor supply for food production. Um, so it has a lot of impacts, and it can also impact just transportation of goods because of blocked roadways or whatever else from evacuated wildfire zones. Well, California is not new to having drought situations. How have past droughts then affected what we see in food prices? I think they've increased food prices, and again, it's not always immediately felt, but over time in the subsequent years, the, the increase has been shown um, throughout, throughout the state. 
Well, we know California feeds the nation. Tell me a little bit about what you guys at American Farmland Trust are doing to further educate consumers and those in agriculture about what happens in California? Well, you know, everything happens in California. I always say it's it's ground zero for every issue. We are on the front line of the impacts of climate. We have the most um, stringent regulatory environment for agriculture in the whole country. And we have some of the most innovative policies and investments in California agriculture. So AFT works at the intersection of all those things. You know, we like to say we work from kitchen table to Congress. So we are working with farmers and ranchers directly on the ground to to help them protect farmland through agricultural conservation easements. We're working with them on innovative um, climate smart agricultural practices around um, water management and soil health. Um, We also work on the state policy front to really provide support and advocacy for programs for farmers that help them comply with programs like the Sustainable Groundwater Management Act and providing them technical assistance or making sure those important programs that help them do good stewardship practices on the ground continue to be funded and expanded upon. I think something that AFT is a particularly loud voice on in in California is the fact that we're losing 50,000 acres of farm and ranch land every year. A portion of my conversation with Kara Huckert with American Farmland Trust. I'm Susan Littlefield, the Rural Radio Network. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably. Are you sure we should get matching tattoos on our first date? Sure. Um, we'll probably stay together. Probably? <laughs> it's been 23 minutes since I ate. I can probably swim. Uh, you should wait 30 minutes. Mm, okay, now tell me what to do. Cannonball! Cramp! Oh, I have a cramp. I can probably hit the green from here. Probably. Can I get a mulligan? Ready to go? Hey, are you sure you're okay to drive? Yeah, I'm pretty sober. Yeah, I'm probably okay. Probably okay isn't okay, especially when it comes to drinking and driving. If you're drinking, call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. It's July 13th, and this is your Fox Daily Snapshot. Today is National French Fry Day. A staple on nearly every menu from fast food restaurants to state fairs and diners, French fries make the perfect side dish or late night snack which everyone can enjoy. There's also no wrong way to enjoy eating French fries. You can dunk them in ketchup, drown them in vinegar, or smother them in melted cheese. So whether you enjoy shoestrings, waffle cut, crinkle cut, or simply potato wedges, take a moment to sit back and dig in. Also on this date, in 1923, the iconic Hollywood sign was dedicated. The original sign actually said Hollywood Land when it first went up, but after a renovation in 1949, the last four letters were removed. If it's your birthday today, you share it with English actor Patrick Stewart, born in 1940, and actor Harrison Ford. Look, your worshipfulness, let's get one thing straight. I take orders from just one person, me. Born in 1942. I'm Tushar Saxena, and that's your Fox Daily Snapshot.
With the business report for Tuesday, I'm Bob Brogan. Stocks have edged higher in afternoon trading as investors weigh the latest quarterly earnings reports from big U.S. companies and concerns about inflation. Inflation has been a lingering concern for the markets as investors try to gauge how it will impact everything from the economic recovery's trajectory to the Federal Reserve's reaction. The latest report from the Labor Department shows yet another increase in consumer prices in June that surprised, econ- that surprised economists. Banks, including Goldman Sachs and J.P. Morgan Chase, helped kick off the latest round of corporate earnings reports, along with PepsiCo. Prices for U.S. consumers jumped in June by the most in 13 years, signaling that a swift rebound in spending has run up against widespread supply shortages that have escalated the costs of many goods and services. The report from the Labor Department shows that consumer prices in June rose nine-tenths of a percent from May and 5.4 percent over the past year, the sharpest 12-month inflation spike since August 2008. J.P. Morgan Chase says its second quarter profits more than doubled from a year ago, a reflection of the improving global economy and fewer bad loans on its balance sheet, but the bank's revenues fell noticeably in the quarter due to a decline in interest rates during the last three months. Conagra is cutting its fiscal 2022 outlook due to rising costs, which the food company will try to offset by boosting prices. Conagra, whose brands include Duncan Hines, Slim Jim, and Bird's Eye, now foresees fiscal 2022 adjusted earnings of about $2.50 per share. It previously predicted earnings of $2.63 to $2.73 per share. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bob Brogan. The Johnston family rodeo legacy continues with the fourth generation in Nebraska. The Johnston family has always been remembered for their bulldoggers. That's the voice of Jim Johnston, the grandfather of Coy Johnston. Coy Johnston is a sophomore from Stapleton, Nebraska, and he's now preparing for his second trip to the National High School Finals Rodeo, this time in bulldogging, also known as steer wrestling. It's a great feeling to qualify for nationals. You're competing with the best of the best when you get there. But Coy is no stranger to the best of the best. He comes from a family that runs deep with rodeo greats, including his grandpa, Jim Johnston. My dad purchased practice stop for me and my brother. And, of course, so I had practice stock for my boys. And now Coy's dad, Jason, he's got practice stock for Coy and Cason and Cotter. So, uh... It's a family tradition. A family tradition that stems back generations. Jim recalled his dad, Coy's great-grandfather, competing in rodeos when Jim was little. The beginning of a rodeo legacy. And my dad, Coy's great-granddad, was rodeoing. And uh, we'd enter the calf riding. And uh, it kind of just kept going. And then when we got a little older... We were still very interested in rodeoing, and, and so uh, we were, had one of the first practice arenas in uh, probably Cherry County. And that practice arena allowed the Johnston boys to build their name in the rodeo industry and practice to become the best. Coy said he's been preparing with the help of his grandpa and his dad, Jason Johnston. My dad, he's out 
every practice with me. He goes almost every rodeo when he's not really busy with work, and he drives me to be the best and helps me to accomplish that. And so it just seems fitting that the fourth-generation Bulldogger will head to his second finals rodeo as a high school sophomore. Coy qualified in team roping last year, his freshman year, and finished 11th in the nation. This year, he put it simply, he wants to win the national title. I want to win it. Got to make two solid runs in the first and second go, and then in the short go, make a good run and see where everything falls. And Jim said he's excited to watch his grandson compete on home turf in Lincoln, adding that he thinks Coy will do very well in the event. But there's some things about rodeoing that no matter how good you are, you have to compete on livestock, and they have minds just like people. Some days they might not feel as good. Some days they might feel really good. Some run fast. Some run slow. But you have to uh, be able to uh, adjust yourself to the steer that you drew. And Coy is very good at that. And Coy said he'll do whatever it takes to put himself at the top this year, especially on home turf. It's pretty exciting. I've never been in Nebraska, and it's close to home, and I just want to represent our state good. The National High School Finals Rodeo will be held July 18th through the 24th in Lincoln at the Lancaster Event Center Fairgrounds, and you can purchase your tickets at nhsfrlincoln.org. Broadcasting from the Nebraska Soybean Board Studio, which is brought to you in part by Nebraska Soybean Farmers and their checkoff. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Difference. As we take a look at the happenings of the grain trade, I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. As we talk with John Payne, he's Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel's Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. So kind of, as you said, John, lackluster for the corn and the beans, but the spring wheat sure brought some heat to the trade today. Yeah, spring wheat's been the story, really. And uh, if you've heard me talk at 123 every day, you notice I've been hammering home the the problems up in the northern part of the growing region here doesn't extend, extends all the way into the Canadian border as well. Um, no rain in the forecast here through at least the, the forecast models I have through the later part of July, and it's going to be hot. Uh, Montana zeroing in on a high pressure there. So pretty much everything up north is going to suffer. It's not dead already. It's like it could be moving that way. So now you start looking at what's going to really be needed up in Canada. We have wheat right now. Uh, supplies are rather high on the carry-in just from last the last few years of good production, but uh, we're going to burn through that supply rather quickly because we're feeding so much of it down in the southwest. And then in the case of Canada, you have canola, which, you know, looking at rapeseed oil over in Europe and uh, the uh, the contract for um, bean oil here, I, I think stand to go to back, back to contract ties at some point. Um, this is a serious problem. The, the market's going to have to get its hands around in the short run. And, you know, we're already looking at a decent soybean crop. So if, if, it, wasn't, if it wasn't decent, you wonder where we'd be on the bean oil. You know, talking canola isn't something we do very often, but it obviously has gotten the attention of those in the market. Yeah, I mean, if you can get a hold of trading it, most of the, the trading houses aren't going to let you trade canola, at least online. Uh, it's a Canadian contract, so you also have to flip it over to Canadian dollars as well. But the bottom line here, we had limit up on the open. It stayed limit all day. Uh, that was positive for the bean oil, which traded back up 65 cents or so on that front month contract. We look for a run up to 70 at some point, and it seems to be the level. Uh, the government's been doing all it can to try to 
kind of get the, the bullishness in the trade out at the highs, which, you know, they've been backing off on the uh, bean oil uh, refiners uh, as far as subsidies that they're putting towards other folks to use their products. Um, they're backing off EPA waivers on ethanol. So at this point in time, uh, you know, the, the tea leaves are on the wall as far as rationing goes. We just need to get a handle on supply. So short term, the weather stays the same. I look for a breakout at some point above that all-time high, the 2018 high rather, for uh, Minneapolis spring wheat. And then, then I think you'll see the KC wheat follow. All right, sounds good. Thanks so much, John, for joining us today. That's been John Payne. He's with Daniels Ag Marketing. You can learn more about them at danielsagmarketing.com. Just a reminder, commodity futures and options involve substantial risk of loss, and they're not suitable for all investors. That's a look at today's grain trade with John Payne. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. And that's going to do it for our midday program today. If you'd like to hear our midday program in its entirety, you can sure go to krvn.com and just click on the podcast.